Cubic Podcast Music. Da -da 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 -da. Da -da. Hello. Da -da. Oh shit. I didn't mean to I didn't mean to cut it off. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know you were doing like the ringing Ooh. bells from like a church or whatever, like bong. I was trying to make it scary because it's the Halloween episode. I'm sorry. You wanna know who has an amazing witch cackle, like cackle scream? You? My mother. Yes. She, to this day, she's like, or whatever. I don't care if I can do it. I'm not Sheila, but she, but she does it. Yeah, my mom does. Yeah. So That's I meant great. to say, hello and welcome to Michigan Another Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other random mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie. And Jen. And uh, it's going to be our Halloween one. I know. I'm excited. What are you dressing up for as Halloween? You know what? I was gonna be um, a hippie, but I just I do you know how I have that um, Wonder Woman onesie? Uh -huh. I was thinking about busting that bad boy out. Oh, that's a good idea. I was gonna be Minnie. Uh huh. And then I I just don't know. I'm on the fence about it. Oh, what happened? Well, there's all these other great costumes. Really? If you see a great one, let me know and get it for me. <laughs> okay. I'm always weirded out. You know, I have a pineapple. I do remember. The and pineapple. I have a cupcake, and I have a sock cup girl. Oh, that is cute, too. I do have some good costumes. Oh, I have a Batman one. I just need to sew the hole in the crotch of my Wonder Woman onesie, and we should be good. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a pain. Yep. <laughs> Trying to pee at work. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's my great. God. Yeah, no, cut a hole right. and then bend over. Yeah, that's would, a good one. Oh, what I would, no, you know what? I would wear a tank top <laughs> or something underneath my onesie, because I'm not going to be bare-ass naked from, like, the ankles up at work. <laughs> Yeah, when I wear my jumpers at work and stuff, it's funny because I'm like, oh, my God, please say I locked the door. I know that'd be right. You're like, they're going to see the, get the whole show today. Yeah, right. So what are you going to talk about today? I have the Halloween disappearance and slaying of 22-year-old Chelsea Brock of maybe Michigan, the one that you gave me to do. Okay, I wasn't sure if you did it. <laughs> But I, I know it's always a toss up. I have I I have put I put a couple in the bank in case you were like, no, that sucks. I'm not going to look it up. And, you know, I try not to look up the ones that I give you. So I don't know what's going on. Okay. I like it when you surprise me. I'm going to surprise you. So I'm going to do the Halloween candy tampering myth. We all think that our, I got a lot of it from Snopes and a little bit from Wikipedia and another website. But every time I try to tell people that nobody was ever poisoned to death by a random stranger, I get a lot of kickback. Nobody wants to hear my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so you want, why don't, tell why don't you go first and then I'll be more of a little palate cleanser with the review because like I said, we do have some people die here. I do talk about some people dying, but it's not what you think. Oh. So you tell me. Okay. Why don't you tell me because I actually, I'm really curious. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> In Frenchtown Township, Michigan, on October 26, 2014, Chelsea attended a Halloween party. She was dressed up as Poison Ivy from Batman. Which I've then... seen this on the Forensics Files or something, I think, then. Really? Yeah. I didn't see maybe. that when I looked it up. But okay. Maybe, maybe or... it wasn't a Forensics File, but, my, you know, the ID channel is ripe with <laughs> yeah. crime shows. Yeah. So Chelsea was seen leaving the party with a man around 3 a.m., for six months, many searches were completed, flyers were distributed, but everything came up cold. She left this party and disappeared. Okay. So. I just remember the Poison Ivy outfit. Well, I think maybe it's popular. 
I was thinking while I was doing this, I was like, mm. oh, I want to be Poison Ivy. Yeah. I even looked it up, and I was like, I don't. It's super cute. Yeah, but I could die, so. No, because your man won't kill you. Yeah, you know. Yo, I'm sorry. How long have you been doing this podcast? <laughs> My man's not going to kill me. My man is going to kill well, me. Well, yours in particular. It's, I saw how he looked at you, but mine won't kill me either. I mean, one day he might, but <laughs> not for a minute. <laughs> About 10 miles from where the party was at was a wooded lot. This lot is in Ash Township. Chelsea's body was found there April 2015. Okay. So, party October 2014 goes missing. Yeah. Body found April 2015. Okay. Investigators were able to collect DNA off Chelsea's leggings. There was a hit in the DNA database. There was still DNA on her after all those months outside? Mm-hmm. Yep, on the leggings. Wow. The DNA matched Daniel Clay, age 27, of Newport, Michigan. That was crazy because I know somebody that works or lives in Newport. Wow. Is her name Daniel Clay? No. All right. <laughs> it's a guy. Okay. <laughs> the police arrested Daniel on July 22nd, 2016. Autopsy revealed that Chelsea died of blunt force trauma. Daniel actually admitted to the Monroe police that he had killed Chelsea, but claimed it was an accident. Say what? How do you accidentally blunt force trauma someone? He was charged with open murder and concealment of a body. Oh, you're going to find out how it was an accident. He thinks it's an accident. Okay. Wait, can I guess? Yeah, go ahead, guess. Rough sex? Yeah. But how do you blunt force trauma, rough sex? I can get choking and a lot of other things. Okay, well... (laughs) I'm getting mad like it's you. I'm so sorry. You're jumping ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. But then I'll stop. So, yeah, he was choking her. (laughs) But I'm thinking, like, he must have hit her head. You know, you're choking Um, somebody and... Okay. Like the baby. She comes up. Uh Uh-huh. You slam her down. And then you slam her down. Okay. I don't know. Daniel said that Chelsea and he were having consexual sex. She asked him to choke her. He claims he did... As asked for, and I thought this was interesting, yeah. he says, for 20 to 30 seconds. But it takes minutes to kill someone. She stopped breathing and he was unable to revive her. He didn't know what to do. He said he freaked out and drove around for about an hour. He stopped about 10 miles away from the party in that wooded area. Mm-hmm. Carried her body into the wooded area, covered her body up with branches. Then uh, that's probably how he saved the DNA. He yep. covered her up. Well, then he started thinking about it. What? And he uncovers her and decides to move her further into the woods. So then he covers her back up and leaves her there. Of course, he admits to it. He has so many opportunities to do the right thing. Yeah, he you're did. guilty as fuck, Mister. Yep. And then on May sixteenth, twenty seventeen, Daniel was found guilty of first degree murder. And on July 13, 2017, he was sentenced to life in prison. Yep, because that's what we do in Michigan. Yep. Once you get a first degree, guilty of first degree murder, uh, bye-bye now. Yep. Yes. See you later. See you later, alligator. But, so I thought it was interesting that he said, you know, I only choked her for 20 to 30 seconds. Who during sex is counting 
you know, things. Well, not to mention, we know from experience, it takes minutes to choke the life out of another human being. Maybe it's super, super strength. And somehow made her body go quicker without oxygen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. Fuck that guy. No, just I don't know. Well, All of right. course it was 20, 20, 30 seconds. He's lying. Blunt force trauma. She's dead sooner. Right. You didn't take that into account. <laughs> that he beat the shit out of her while choking her. Mm-hmm. Which, thank you. Which I'm sure she wanted again. Again, I'm sure exactly how she wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, dude's messed up. Poor family. I mean, her poor family. And I always feel like when they when they disappear that it hurts so bad. And then you feel like a second hurt when they're found. Like yeah. a second different hurt. So I'm going to talk about the Halloween candy tampering myth. Don't fight me, bitches. Because I will fight back. I think a lot of the reason why I get kicked back is a lot of the um, things happened here in Michigan. Did you never check your kids' candy? No. Never. I only did it once in a great while. My, actually, my daughter... Loves Halloween. It's her favorite holiday. She absolutely loves trick-or-treating. Loved it as a kid. But until she was seven, she didn't even eat one single piece of her own candy nor ask for it again the day after Halloween. Once she collected the candy, to her it was all about going to get it. Once she got it, who gave a shit? She never asked for it again. Didn't matter. I'm the dumbass eating all the candy. I would even take it to work like you bitches now need to get fat. Oh, that's funny because (laughs) Brandon would have a few pieces and then... He would never look at it again, so I'd package it up and I'd take it and leave it in the lunchroom at work because uh, I don't really eat that shit. Yeah, I gave it to my coworkers, and I do eat candy because I love candy, and it's wonderful. <laughs> okay, tell me about it. Okay, so for years, the urban legend of tainted Halloween candy has been strong. <laughs> the force is strong with this one. However, it really is just still a myth. So there's some instances in which a murderer used the existing fear of poisoned candy to murder somebody. And there are even more instances of someone dying on or near Halloween and toxic candy being pointed at as the cause before the official medical report is released. So somebody dies and everybody's like, it was poison candy. And then later on you find out it's not, but you already heard the sensationalized report, right? Mm-hmm. So in 1970, a child's demise. Their death. I always think that demise sounds fancy. Mm-hmm. In Detroit, Michigan, was attributed to poison candy. Kevin Tustin, who was five years old when he slipped into a four-day coma and then died after ingesting heroin that he found belonging to his uncle. In an effort to cover up his accidental overdose, Kevin's family opened his Halloween candy and sprinkled heroin over it. They tried to forward the idea that Kevin had received tainted candy while trick-or-treating, and it wasn't until police began investigations that they learned of the cover-up. So originally you find out a kid was poisoned by heroin and his candy, Everybody freaks out. The investigation goes on. You find out it's not true, but it's too late. It's already out there. Yep. So on Halloween 1974, 8-year-old Timothy Mark O'Brien died after eating a pixie stick saturated with cyanide in Texas. Police were able to determine that Timothy was poisoned by his father, Ronald Clark O'Brien, for insurance money. Ronald wanted the murder to look like a random poisoning, so he placed a cyanide-filled pixie stick in Timothy's bag, in his sister's bag, and two of his neighbor's children that he was walking with while trick-or-treating. So he's... He wants wow! To, yes! Wow! So he could possibly have killed four people. Ronald decided to give the fifth pixie stick... Oh, fifth one. Yes. To a trick-or-treater that came to his house that he recognized from his church. Okay. That man is true... Yeah, he was going an extra he's, mile there. He is human putrescence, okay? Yeah. Yes. 
So after eating the stick, Timothy told his dad, Vinyl, that it tasted bitter. And Vinyl gave Timothy a cup of Kool-Aid to wash it down. And Timothy immediately began vomiting, and he died as he was driven to the hospital. Aww. That's how evil his fucking dad is. So not initially suspecting Timothy's father, right? The call went out that a child had died from a poisoned Halloween candy. So four of the, which is good, right? Because four of the five pixie sticks are found. And the fifth one was found with the kid later because the kid, he had it and he went to go open it up, but he couldn't because it was stapled closed. And I thought, that's a warning flag. Yeah. Because pixie sticks are glued and mm-hmm. folded. Yeah. But um, he wasn't able to get it open. So he had it like set aside in his pile. So police become suspicious suspicious of Ronald when he couldn't recall which house he had received the candy from. And I wrote, okay, side note, who as a parent. in the heck knows thank you. where the candy came from? Thank you. I don't know who gave my daughter what. Now, when she was really little, like two or three, yes, I'd walk up to the door with her. I'd actually walk up to the steps. She'd usually walk up to the last steps and, you know, get it. Once she was like six or seven, I'm on the sidewalk. All right. I can see her to the door. I don't need to take her all the way to the door. I'm just yeah. standing. You walk up there on your own. You're fine. <laughs> but I was just like, oh, my goodness gracious. I would not be able yeah. to tell you who gave yeah. her what. And sometimes she would report back like, that was a full-size Butterfinger. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, I would know, but I don't know every house. Yeah. You yeah. know? So, but do, okay. So then I was like, but they said, do, it was raining due to the rain. The family had only gone down two streets and none of the houses they went to gave out pixie sticks. So they went to two. So sp- they claimed. Yeah. No. So they show. So nobody else is. Nobody else has pixie. None of the trick or treaters have pixie sticks. So like only these kids have pixie sticks. Yeah. Check this out. So investigators found out that Ronald was in debt and had placed insurance claims of about sixty thousand dollars on both his children. I shortened it up, but basically he put two thousand or twenty thousand on each kid, and then did it again, and then did it again, and then okay. all of a sudden Timothy dies. So the morning after Timothy's death, Ronald called the insurance company to collect. So the very next day, Ronald had also tried to buy cyanide at a chemical supply store before Halloween, but left when he found out that they aren't sold in anything smaller than five pound blocks. Yeah. So he had contacted a chemist to find out how much cyanide would be fatal to a human. All this is before his son dies. Oh, all right. Yeah. So by July 1975, Ronald O'Brien was found guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder, and he was sentenced to death and died by lethal injection March 31st, 1984. So November 3rd, 1978, we have another case. Um, There's an article in the Inquirer and News of Battle Creek, Michigan. Um, It discusses the case of a two-year-old boy. That's what it was called, the Inquirer News, Battle Creek, Michigan. I was like, you guys are long. Yeah. (laughs) It discusses the case of a two-year-old boy who died after eating candy. So the medical examiner had not ruled on his cause of death, but Michigan State Police urged parents to examine their children's candy. Toxicology tests later revealed no traces of poison, and his death was ruled due to natural causes. In the Battle Creek News News article, the police stated that a second poisoning was also discovered that Halloween. A child had licked some fudge that had crystals on it that were believed to be caustic. And I couldn't find a follow-up on the fudge case, but there were a few cases where the initial testing led police to believe where poison was involved, but later on it was deemed untrue. Oh. So I thought, if that was real, if the fudge case was real, we would have heard about it again, right? Yeah. So that's another case happening. That's in Michigan, right? So, for example, in October of 1988, the New York Times reported 
that strychnine was found in Sunkiss Fun Fruit dinosaur packs. And the initial testing had been done by the New Jersey State Lab, but further testing showed that some substance was actually cornstarch, but it already damaged like the reputation because mm-hmm. everybody threw out the, you know, everybody associated with poison, they threw out all the, the food snacks. So in 1982, police in Redford Township, Michigan, Michigan again, um, issued a statement about a boy being poisoned by cocaine in his Halloween candy. This is due to its physician misreading the lab results after he had fallen sick shortly after Halloween. Later tests to find out what happened to the boy showed themselves as inconclusive. When the FDA t- tested all the boy's candy, no traces of cocaine were found. So this kid dies mysteriously. What is it? He misreads yeah. it. He thinks it's cocaine. So similar, similarly, wow. Wow. <laughs> In San Jose, California, on Halloween 1996, a seven-year-old boy collapsed. When Ferdinand Sickwig had his urine tested at a local hospital, doctors said it contained traces of cocaine. That was the story given to the media, and the less sensational information was after more detailed testing, no cocaine was found. During Halloween 1990, a seven-year-old girl named Ariel Katz died while trick-or-treating. Local police in California feared a mass poisoning campaign, so authorities had conducted a door-to-door search where she collapsed. They blocked off her street, confiscated candy, conducted interviews, and then they alerted the press, right? But Ariel had died of an enlarged heart, which is a pre-existing medical condition that her parents already knew she had. It just so happened she died while trick-or-treating and probably got excited. And So the following Halloween uh, was Washington in Washington, D.C. in 1991. Kevin Michael Cherry uh, died shortly after eating some of his kids' candy. So instead of waiting for an autopsy, many parents threw out their children's candy. Kevin's medical examination showed that he had died of heart failure. Mm. Tiffany Trung, who was a four-year-old girl, she died the day after Halloween in 2001. Local police instructed families to throw out the candy that their children had collected. Tiffany's autopsy revealed that she had died of the Streptococcus bacteria and that she did not contact it through candy. So that can give you anything from strep throat to a major infection, and that's actually what killed the little girl. Hmm. So the Poison Halloween candy urban legend has been around since the Industrial Revolution. That's when food shifted from being homegrown and home-cooked to being mass-produced by strangers and machines, and so it became less trusted. So I saw a hypothesis that suggested that fear comes from people moving from countries to cities and suburbs where you might not be familiar with your neighbor. In an urban and suburban areas, there is a higher chance that your neighbor may be a different color or religion than you, which can like lead to distrust. So a sociologist at the University of Delaware named Joel Best, he specializes in candy tampering. Hmm. I know. I was like, I love candy. (laughs) That's kind of awesome. Yeah. He searched through publications from 1958 to 1983 in search of stories of sweets being poisoned. In that 25-year span, 78 cases were actual candy tampering. Most of those had been due to familial adults trying to get some form of compensation. So uh, an adult, you know, says, I'm going to sue you. I found poison in my kid's candy. And they found out that that person actually put it in the candy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes childish pranks, like people just playing pranks on each other. And the most common is a child who tampers with their own food. And police have never documented any case of someone randomly dispensing poison candy on Halloween. Um, I said, okay, so I tried to tell a coworker that no fam- that no child's ever been randomly poisoned while trick-or-treating, and she said I was wrong. And I just said, I think this is a strong urban legend in Mich- Michigan because three of the cases happened here. Yeah. 
So I think that that's why it's like so strong, so hard for us to be like, you know, I really do think that, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah, that it's it's real. That it's real. Yes. Well, and then of course you hear it on the news. And just think, yeah, and, and this is every year. Do they even say that anymore? Uh, I don't know. I I actually didn't look for any more, you know, recent cases. But I think kids still get their like Halloween stuff X-rayed, and, I, and you know looked at. Dang, and my mom used to say like, "I'm now." Oh, they did when I was a kid. And then my mom used to like throw my it out if it looks like it had been unwrapped or whatever. And I was like, "Yeah." I, I when my mom was like, "Was that looking like I started out?" I'm like, "I unwrapped it. That's why it was me. It was me. We don't have to throw this out." <laughs> I used to throw out Brandon's candy that was open. Yeah, but that's just because it was open, right? So I have the review of the roadway in. Didn't you just? Didn't you do this already though? That's the one where there was a murder, right? Isn't yeah, it in Muskegon? Did you read the review? There was a lot of murders. Okay, and there were the, a lot of the murders. The place is disgusting. I yeah. read some of the reviews. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. So um, I'm going to read this one star review from the roadway in that you already discussed. Several had several murders. It's a TripAdvisor one, and the name of the uh, reviewer is Beachless2013, and they're from Tecumseh, Michigan. So, I was booked here for two nights, and it was the worst experience ever. The place is grossly neglected and honestly feels dangerous. The furniture was scratched and torn. The lamp was broken and was leaning on the curtains. Hold on. Tecumseh is dangerous. Tecumseh's not dangerous. It's a teeny tiny town. That is, teeny tiny towns are where you get murdered. No, they are. Yes, they are. That's where your dead body gets hidden. Yeah. Okay. Uh Go on. Um, The walls were disgusting to the point of dried something running down them in several areas. Probably blood. Or other worse shit. You know what I mean? Literally shit. (laughs) The curtain rods were broken, so I wasn't able to shut them all the way, which was very unnerving due to the room facing a very busy road. Pretty sure there were some sketchy people living in this hotel indefinitely. They were loud all night long, slamming doors and kids yelling at all hours. One of the nights I could hear people partying loudly with loud music and inappropriate language. This eventually led to a man and woman in a full-out physical altercation to the point where I thought they were going to come through my wall. This sp- <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> right? This spilled into the hall, scaring me half to death. Mind you, this was 3 o'clock in the morning after I'd been kept up all night uh, by all the loudness and the sheer fear of someone breaking in. was glad to leave and never to return. Does that sound did right? They, did they stay the two days? Because I wouldn't eat, I would have got up at 3 say, and leave. I don't think so. I think at that point you're afraid to leave at 3 in the morning. You want to wait till the sun's up. You know what I mean? You don't want to go outside all yeah. vulnerable and shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there is, did you go through all the rev- a lot of the reviews? Yeah, it was there bad. were some bad ones. There were so many bad ones. And you know, I've been trying to find a good one to go with the bad ones. But girl, I couldn't. There wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And um, there's something about Muskegon, man. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe murders. Maybe, yeah. And crazy hotels, and yeah, it's everything leads back to Muskegon. No, no, ghosts lead back to Saginaw, you said. Ghosts lead to Saginaw. Yeah. So connect with us at michiganandothermayhem.com to join the conversation, listen to the podcast, access the show notes, find site links, or correct us when necessary. Rate and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Anchor, and YouTube. Bye-bye now. <laughs>